Hi, I'm Ray from Insert Quest here. My pronouns are they, them, and today I'm talking to Jeff Barber, a game maker from the US and writer of one of the first role-playing games I ever heard of uh, back when I was in high school. Uh, thank you so much for being on the show, Jeff. Would you mind further introducing yourself for our audience? Of course. Well, thanks for having me. Uh, as Ray said, my name is Jeff Barber. Um, I am a school teacher on the west coast of the US in a town called Tacoma outside Seattle. Uh, and in my uh, spare time, as a side gig, I design role-playing games, mostly games aimed at kind of deep world building. Um, but um, I, I uh, do that as, as a side gig. Yeah, awesome. Um, so one of the earliest games that I ever heard of, uh, role-playing games I ever heard of, long before I was even interested in role-playing games, was Blue Planet. Because when I was in high school, I was obsessed with transhumanism. And Blue Planet was hyperlinked on the Wikipedia entry for uh, Blue really? Planet. Yeah, as an example of science fiction with, a, uh, with transhumanist themes in it. Uh, and so that's, that's, cool. how, that's how I first heard of Blue Planet, um, which you're kickstarting a new edition of soon. Is that correct? Yeah, that's the plan. Um, in almost exactly a week, April 6th, we're going to yeah. launch the third edition. Almost a week as of recording this. It may, in fact, be. Uh, yes. May, in fact, be tomorrow as of release date. Um, but we'll, we'll nail that down in a minute. I don't really have my time traveler's license, and so I get confused in podcasts. Yeah, definitely understandable. Um, so I think in a minute we're going to talk a bit further about Blue Planet. Because it's a very interesting setting. Um, obviously, I was very keen on it when I first heard about it. Um, but I wanted to start off with kind of our standard talking point of how did you first become uh, interested in making games? Like, what was your first foray into making a game? Um, I guess it was actually as an illustrator. Um, I. Wow. I aspired to be one. I was never very good. Uh, it took me a while to realize I wasn't. And, and uh, I was in grad school, and I had started going to the university's games and simulations club, and I ran into a um, fellow member named John Tynes. For those of you that know uh, his name, he's the originator of Delta Green um, uh, and... Um, Puppet Land and a bunch of properties for other like uh, uh, unknown armies, that kind of thing. Um, he and I were gaming friends, uh, eventually became roommates. And when he started Pagan Publishing, um, I did some illustrations for him and eventually just became a part of that little company um, and uh, worked on Delta Green and Walkers in the Waste and the uh, uh, Unspeakable Oath, Zine and, and other projects for, for them. Um, eventually we went separate ways and I wasn't ready to get out of the industry yet. Uh, I just sort of realized how much I enjoyed it. And at the time, I mean, this was the early nineties. So at the time it was much different than it is now, much smaller than it is now. And it seemed like the, the best way to really get in was you had to have a game, um, mm -hmm. or at least the most direct entree was to have a game. So I said, okay, I better design a game. And I took a couple of things to heart, uh, you know, your teachers always tell you when you're in grammar school, write what you know. So um, being a marine biologist by training, I, I decided it was going to be 
um, something to do with the ocean and being a science fiction fan by nature. Um, I decided to have it set uh, in a science fiction setting and then just kind of one little inspiration after another. Um, I was playing some, uh, uh, some computer game at the time called Subwar 2050, all about these underwater fighter subs waging war over the last resources on Earth or something. And that all kind of gelled together to um, come up to, to formulate this idea for Blue Planet in my head and just started building it, um, world building brick by world building brick until got to the point where we were ready to make a game out of it. And that's kind of how it started. Yeah, it's wild. As you're speaking, I'm remembering all like these details about reading uh, the Blue Planet um, Wikipedia entry, um, right? Where, which is where I first learned about it. And um, I'm a little curious. Why you said you were super into transhumanism in high school? That's not a something that I think a lot of high school. I'm a high school teacher, and I can say that there's not a lot of kids that get obsessed with that. So I'm a little curious about that comment. So my. Um, I have older siblings and um, some of them are like 20 or uh, almost 30 years older than me. Uh, But my closest sibling is my older brother who is six or seven years older than me, depending on how you count um, Hmm. years. Uh, And so uh, my, and my brother was a very voracious reader, me less so, but as I got, um, older in high school, I got more interested in, um, science fiction, um, stuff. I read a lot of, I read a few of Peter F. Hamilton's books. I read a wide scattering of the Jude books. I read like the first Jude book and then Jude Messiah. And then like jumped back and read legend of, uh, legends of Jude. Uh, then a bunch of other weird stuff and short story collections and, and things like this. And, um, I was always really attracted to transhumanism as a concept to the point where I almost went into uh, prosthetic and orthotic design because I was so interested in cybernetics uh, and things like that. Um, But, uh, yeah, I used to just jump on Wikipedia and look for information about transhumanist stuff, in particular transhumanist fiction, Normally in the hopes of finding like a movie or a TV show with Mm -hmm. those themes, because as much as I didn't want to admit it, I didn't, I don't super enjoy reading books and I super like watching movies and TV show, TV shows. uh, And it's just easy for me to absorb that information. Um, And so, yeah, I just, I I ended up with that interest in transhumanism, which, and I guess Blue Planet is on there because of um, the, the fact that the people on the planet or rather the war on the planet in blue planet is it's poseidon right yeah it's this ocean world off in space through a wormhole if memory serves wow your memory's doing pretty well um yeah yeah. and there's like a yeah there's like a resource or something on the planet that allows you greater control over like manipulating genetic code and stuff spot on Xenosilicate, uh, otherwise known as longevity matrix or or long john in the vernacular which is a great like c name reference for a for your <laughs> yep. suit for your uh what is the word for your unobtainium right right it is exactly that it's the macguffin that makes colonizing a planet through a wormhole even remotely economically viable 
Yeah. It's the, it's the gold for our gold rush, and it sets up all of the possibilities of the storytelling associated with that. Indeed. Uh, it's tempting to go into a bunch of the world building um, about uh, Blue, pa- Blue Planet, but I feel like that is maybe a different podcast. Um, although now I'm imagining a mini series of like deep diving into Blue Planet history and lore. Um, my question is in this new return to uh, Blue Planet, uh, how are things different, both thematically, mechanically, but also how are things different in terms of uh, the setting and the lore? Is there a time change here? Or, and how much have you revised the setting based on like the way I assume both you have grown and also our world has changed since the nineties and early two thousands. Right. Those are really good questions. Um, and, and it's kind of a mixture of answers. Yeah. Um, the simple, the simplest version is that the setting has changed probably the least Mm -hmm. of the components of the game. Uh, the themes, well, I guess I should say settings and themes, uh, but they're kind of intertwined. Indeed. I'm not sure that they could even really be separated. But um, the most fundamental change that people will notice if they are familiar with the previous editions is in the rule set. Um, and we have very strongly evolved the second edition rule set so that you'd have to be a pretty proficient um, second ed player to, to see the genetics, but it's there. Um, but it, it is definitely um, much more towards the narrative end of the spectrum versus the simulation end of the spectrum. First edition Blue Planet was full on like early 90s simulation, try and make it so that you could play a miniatures tactical game with the mm. rules if you wanted to, right? Which, uh, is, edition, which, which is like an un- understandable knowing the climate of the game design scene at the time, but like thinking right. about the concept of the game of, Oh, it's the, it's gold. It's cyberpunk gold rush on a weird ocean planet. It's like, okay, why is that a combat simulation game? Like, well, it wasn't, it wasn't just combat. It was, the, it was the idea was true. that it simulated life. I mean, we had tons and tons of skills so that you could have right, right, any right. kind of scientist you wanted, any kind of, um, researcher you wanted any, well, any kind of soldier, I suppose, or law enforcement officer or explorer. The idea was that, you know, I, I was coming from a scientific background. In fact, mm-hmm. um, I had just come out of grad school for, uh, ecology and was, you know, I, 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 could, I could only think in those kind of like concrete scientific completist terms. Um, and so that was sort of the, the, um, main drive behind it being simulationist, mm-hmm. uh, second edition, Less so, but still um, strongly simulationist. It was 2002, I think. So we still hadn't quite moved beyond that. But in the intervening 20 years, uh, game design has really changed a lot. What people want out of games has changed a lot. The thing that I, I really focused on mechanically in the evolution of the system was shifting from um, the idea of this is the things you can do or what my character can do to who my character is so that not only is it incorporate the things your character can do, but like a lot of game modern game design, it's really about who is your character? How do they interact with the world? How does the world interact with them? How are they connected to the world? And those are the things that I um, really focused on bringing into the new. Yeah, definitely. In terms of setting um, blue planet setting was always the thing that I, I believe uh, allowed the game to endure. 
it still has a soft spot in lots of people's hearts. It's still really popular with the fans of this of the game. It's the thing that sets it apart from other games, uh, just because of this. The setting is is different, but it's also very deep. Most of I counted them up the other day as as part of prepping for um, editing that we've got to do. There are seventeen hundred published pages of Blue Planet material, and Jeez. I would say ninety. 90 to 95 percent of that is setting so um i didn't we have invested a lot in that setting in terms of development and and um, planning and and what we wanted to say about the world and it's all poised on sort of a social political moment um where there are several conflicting forces all coming together to make a world full of drama we've got the original natives who are trying to protect their world we have the uh, the natives are the, the original colonists that have been here for generations. Yeah, I was going to say, they're like people that came through the wormhole and then the wormhole like turned off. No, it wasn't the wormhole turning off. There was a, there was a, there was a plague on Earth, oh, uh, an agricultural right, right. plague. There was right. an agricultural plague that, that caused global starvation and they just didn't have the resources to spare for a space program. Right, so yes, they just that makes gave sense. up on them. I know it was and, something like that. Yeah, yeah. And so the Earth kind of gave up on them and then, you know, uh, it's like 112 years later. No, actually, like 80 years later, they uh, recontacted Reconnect. them. Yep. Yeah. And hence, and, and that that moment in history is called recontact in the in the setting, and that's why the new edition is called Blue Planet Recontact because book's been out of print for almost 20 years. It felt like a kind of a nice tie into the setting. I think that's a really good thematic nod now that you've pointed it out. Like that's really cool. Like a kind. Yeah, I think that's pretty great yeah so you've but got the, the- yeah so the setting is is because it was poised um you got the natives um trying to protect their planet you've got the incorporate coming trying to harvest the long john and exploit the crap out of the planet you've got the um this uh original species that nobody knew was even there let alone the fact that they were sapient called the nereids uh, in the first edition they're called the aborigines um, oh yeah i can see why you changed that <laughs> yeah well the word it to a to a scientist in the 90s that meant something different than it certainly does now and the connotations were law I, I was unaware and so there's lots of things like that that we have tried yeah to no definitely um, uh for, yeah. for for those that aren't aware um that is particularly relevant to me because i live in australia where in that australia, word yep. where that word is um very outdated loaded yeah yeah yeah, yeah, loaded very outdated term for uh the first nations and indigenous people of australia um yeah more likely to use the word aboriginal australian or just aboriginal now or better yet actually refer to like better yet not at all uh or refer to the actual um nation of the people so for example i used to live on the lands of the Awabakal and Waramai people, um, for example. Um, and I, yesterday I was on the lands of the Wiradjuri people. Um, and I don't actually know where I am today, but that's for after the interview to look up. Right. Um, so, the, so the new edition has given us opportunity to reflect on things like that and make very important t- changes. Um, and, and so those kinds of things in the setting certainly are changing, but the, position, the precipice on which the sociopolitical situation is, is set, isn't changing. We didn't advance the timeline because we didn't want to, um, to, pull that, to pull that tension out of the game. We wanted there to be that story driving, um, sort of factionalized 
and and kind of interesting time moment in history. Um, and then you've got, of course, the the newcomers all trying to get to a, a, a healthy planet and, and find a new life. And then the, the remnants of the government, different governments trying to either reestablish their um, nation, their nations or just hold, hold things together. So there's just a lot of different factions all vying for a piece of this new world, um, making it a, a challenge for everybody involved. The more um, you, the more you like talk about this, the more I'm like, yes, I want to play blue planet. Deadwood. <laughs> yeah, well, you absolutely can. You absolutely can. Um, and and so part of part of the the, the what's baked in here is um, is sort of the the ideas around colonialism and anti colonialism, which you know in the '90s were a thing, but they weren't part of the of, of what was being talked about on a daily basis. And here we find ourselves in 2021, and they're you know a, a everyday part of of political convert. Uh, political discourse and social discourse. And so there is one of the moment, one of the reasons we're leaning uh, back into that theme and heavily um, as we introduce the new edition. Um, I think that this is probably as close as I'm going to get to asking a hard question. Would you say that the game leans more towards being anti-colonial than it is pro-colonial? Like I, I guess you'd have to ask people with other perspectives because I'm so... Well, I guess I mean, what is your, where do you feel your intent lies? Rather my than, take, my, my sympathies lie with anti-colonialism. Yeah. Um, because the faction I, whose story I like the most, and I think is the most deserving of attention are the original colonists, the, the natives themselves. Um, and, and I realize that sounds funny, the original colonists, but there was nobody there um, when they arrived and was otherwise a, a wild planet. Um, but the, the themes are caught up in the experience that they're having with the newcomers as they arrive and begin exploiting, exploiting the world. Because um, even the Nereids are not native to the planet. They, and there's a, a backstory element there that ties into the origins of, of the planet and its strange ecosystem and lead into where the, the background story and the setting uh, can lead the players. Yeah, wow all very right up my alley um to be honest it sounds very exciting um so the mechanics are the thing that have changed the most for sure indeed i I was i was just about to ask how obviously we've already talked a little bit about how you're leaning more towards a narrativist um play um obviously uh that's a pretty vague term but it is mostly used to position a game it's saying a game is narrativist is a lot more about saying we're not simulationist um, uh, in many ways. Um, what does what does that look like for you? What have you done to try and lean more into this story first kind of vibe? Well, I, I guess I should probably be really specific. Um, I don't know that someone who is into really narrativist games will look at the new rule set and go, oh, that's a narrativist game. Mm-hmm. They will probably think it is too crunchy for, the, for a narrative taste and um, probably more towards the um, simulationist end of the spectrum than, than the term would imply. And having just written Upwind, which is sort of all the way at the far end of narrativist spectrum, um, yeah, I, think, I mean, in I think Upwind, I, you you rather than resolving moments within a scene, you resolve scenes. Right, 
Right. And so I, I do have that point of reference uh, in my own design history to kind of make the comparison. But when I say narrativist, what I'm um, really talking about is the shift from what my character can do to who my character is. Um, and um, probably most notably is that, and, and the most narrativist-like structure is that we don't have long lists of skills. We don't have long lists of attributes. Anybody familiar with the previous versions of Blue Planet know that we had lots of attributes and lots of skills, um, and you just and, and even even uh, aptitudes with those skills. So there was a lot of numbers that you had to crunch when you were making your character, and there were a lot of numbers you had to add together to to make a, a die roll. Um, but what we have done now is make a shift from skills to skill sets, um, mostly. Well, I guess I should back up um, one tick and explain the design intent before trying to explain the design. Sure. Um, but the the goal was to make it more about who the characters were. But we also recognized, I recognized, that because the setting is so rich and is really a hard science fiction setting where we've tried to to keep with what we know about physics and ecology and project all of our sort of future tech and our future surmises into what's the realm of what looks plausible. Um, we needed a mechanics system that supported that intention, the hard science fiction and full narrativist didn't really feel something like upwind didn't feel like it, it would support, give the right feel to a hard science fiction setting. Um, partly because it, it, in my mind um, it's hard to have, hardcore geneticists and hardcore physicists and hardcore special ops soldiers and hardcore native explorers with just a few, you know, just a handful of skills and attributes to pick from. You didn't get much variation in what they could do. And it didn't really describe who they were through, through um, character design. So this idea of skill sets, and it, it wasn't new to us. I mean, we're not, I'm not reinventing any wheel. There's other games that have done it similarly, but instead of having a list of 150 skills to pick from and limited to, you have um, a varying number of skill sets that you choose for your character and you design them. And those skill sets are the example I like to use is if you want to play a biologist, um, your a typical skill set might start with a, a general element called um, biology or biologist or field biologist, a, a core element called uh, lab scientist or lab technician, and then a specialist element called a geneticist. So you're a, a field biologist, lab technician, geneticist. And each of those progressing levels represents an increasing expertise in your biological science, trending from general biology to working in a lab to being a geneticist. Um, and the, the general gives you 1D10, the core gives you 2D10, and the specialty gives you 3D10. So in that moment, you have said what your person can do, what kind of school they must have gone to, what kind of training they must have had, the kind of job they probably have. Um, and you show that they are a, uh, probably an expert in, in genetics. Um, and you get a handful of those, but depending upon what level of power you decide to play your campaign at. And I, actually you build a, your I actually have a question related sure. to this. Is there, I think it might be illustrative to ask this. Um, Say I wanted to play uh, Geneticist as well. Is there a different way to someone else at my table? 
could we present them as having different uh, paths to that same specialization? So could one absolutely, they, yeah. So what might what might uh, where might you vary that those three tiers basically? Uh, I imagine you could put physics in there someplace. You could put chemistry or biochemistry in there. You yeah, chemistry definitely makes sense. You could be yeah. a, a medical doctor. Um, you could be a genetic engineer. You know, who's actually building a lot of the transhumanism. You could be a long john expert. Um, and so each, each character at, at minimum has five skill sets. And so that's only one skill set that covers a whole bunch of different areas of expertise. Right. Yeah. Um, and, at, and then as you increase the power level of your campaign, you could have up to seven skill sets. Um, do you, I imagine the answer to this question is going to be no. Um, but, uh, do you unlock more skill sets as you play? Is there much in the terms of mechanical progression in that regard or does there is um there's a um a specific yeah very much so um and in fact so, so as you build your character you pick your skill sets based on your origin your background your occupation your development and um a couple of other areas so that as you pick those skill sets they also define kind of how you got them and where in your life you got them and why you might have gotten them so, you know, if you had a rough and tumble existence as a, as a street punk when you were a kid, um, that would be your first skill set, something with urban survival and maybe brawling and maybe thievery of some kind. But if you managed to kind of find your way to university or some other kind of training and became that geneticist, um, that would be maybe your occupation or your developmental. And then there's a bunch of spaces on the character sheet where you can get them. They're called advancement. And um, as you play your character, there are these different tags you can trigger through your role-playing that give you character points that you can then spend to buy new skill sets. Um, so we call it the, we call it the uh, character profile, and it involves your character's uh, attitude, motivation, and goals. And every time you execute on one of those in role-playing, every time it impacts the narrative, you get um, a check mark and that can, you can later spend on building these growing skill sets. So if in the narrative you're finding your character is doing a lot of something or being faced with a lot of situations or even just actively wants to pursue some kind of course of training or what have you, you can build that into the narrative and add that new skill set as you want to. Yeah. Wow. And how do you, I guess if I'm unlocking a new skill set and I might've missed this just now, um, but when, if, when you're unlocking a new skill set, how do you justify that within the story? Like, do you take some downtime to go to night school uh, what does that look like? Well, you'd have to, and our advice is pretty brief, but it does say you work with your moderator to sort of justify the narrative, right? Right. So, so you're expected if, to come if, up with a justification. Yeah. If going, to if going to night school, like if you're stranded on a desert island, you can't, and you have no resources to, to the internet or textbooks or whatever, then you can't really justify becoming an astrophysicist while you're sitting on the beach. Um, but you could... Improve your an you could become you know, an expert spear fisherman. Yep, yep. You could become an expert forager or or fisher or scrounger or hut builder or swimmer. Um, so your context and what your character, what you want for your character, can make a difference. There's no, it's no formal downtime like in a Blades in the Dark or anything like that. Right. Um, the the idea is that you build it in the narrative, and progression is pretty slow anyway. Um, so you know you're gonna you're going to be kind of saving up. So time will pass in your campaign and it's really, yeah. So it's not a, it's not as like, um, it's not progression heavy, like say 
uh, D&D is where you're, you know, leveling up every other game or so. And like, right, right. Because you're also spending those points if you want to improve your attributes or if you want to um, increase other elements of your character's stats, you can also spend those points at, at different rates to affect those as well. Yeah, indeed, indeed, definitely, definitely. So what is the, when we talk about the fact that the characters are more about who they are than what they do um or what they can do um what do you envision uh the play experience being like what do you imagine that players are going in and doing with these characters is it you know a game of uh science and mystery of uncovering uh hidden things are we are we uh is it you know noir is it um what's another example of the thing that i'm trying to ask um is it uh political and character driven drama um obviously the i imagine the answer to this question is going to be very is more complex than these simplified terms so sure um but but really the answer is yes yeah yep that's kind of the answer i was expecting (laughs) yeah um, and, and honestly, that's probably been the only consistent critique that Blue Planet has gotten um, since it was first published, is that people who get a hold of the book, they start reading and they just don't know where to start. Because, it, you know, like I said, there's 1,200 pages of setting um, and there, it's sometimes hard to pick a thread out of that to base your campaign on. Um, but it could be any kind of campaign, as you described. It could be... Native insurgency, it could be native survival, it could be newcomer to a, a strange new world, it could be um, boomtown western, it could be um, incorporate espionage or uh, military thriller, uh, anything that, that you like in your dramatic stories can be told on Poseidon, it just ends up being amphibious and um, you know draped over with a heavy dose of transhumanism um, and dropped against this back of political tension. What kind of guidance do you offer um, in that regard when you're um, uh, sort of facing the facilitator of the game? Um, Do you suggest suggest to them a place to start or even a place to begin to start? Sort of like um, trying to think of a way... To refine this question, <laughs> um, well, I think I have the per- the exact answer you're looking for. Um, yeah. Is in the earlier editions we didn't, um, which uh, I don't know if it was naive or or um, we just didn't really think it through, or if we just assumed that more was better. Um, I have since learned that it is a lot easier to pick up a game and run it when there is a strong and specific campaign expectation. Mm-hmm. Uh, something like Blades in the Dark is a perfect example. Even Upwind, um, with the characters being members of the Explorers Guild, that was intentional based on my lessons from Blue Planet. What we're doing with the new edition is I've taken that lesson and trying something new, uh, and I hope it works, fingers crossed, because we're putting a lot of effort into it. Um, Do you know how there was a time, even now some games come out now, but there was a time where it was really popular to have the middle section of a book be a bunch of example characters? Mm -hmm. Um, be like a two-page spread, there'd be an illustration, and like, here's your street samurai, and here's your computer hacker, and so forth and so on. Definitely. Yeah, so we're doing that same idea, but not for characters, but for campaigns. Oh, shit, So here here is a campaign archetype. Here is, and this one is about a group of ragtag 
local guides who take any job that comes along, a la Firefly, um, and, and tries to make a living at it. Sometimes they're on the right side of the law, sometimes they're on the wrong side of the law. Or here's another campaign where you are a group of scientists at a remote outpost and strange things have started to happen. Um, or you're, here's another campaign idea where you are uh, law enforcement in a small town caught between corporate raiders and native insurgents, and you're just trying to keep the peace. Um, so we've kind of looked at the setting, picked out uh, eight to 12 very sort of representative uh, themes and conflicts and are building very specific archetypes around them where there will be some named NPCs and there are some specific plot hooks and there's a location where they're, they're based or maybe a vessel that they are using for their adventures. Um, and it really is sort of a jumpstart to a campaign. Hopefully, if someone doesn't want to just pick one of those up and run with it, there'll be enough example in that meet that they'll be able to say, oh, well, I can just do that over here with this thing and change these pieces and I'm off and running. I really like that you have with this system here that you're describing, um, you have done um, a pretty good job of preserving this idea of this is a world you find the thread that you want to follow uh, and play it while also giving some really strong guidance for like um because i know that for myself a thing that i struggled with with eclipse phase for example is that the way those books are written is you can play in this world and do a bunch of stuff but also this secretly it's all written as if you're going to play as firewall but they don't do a good mm -hmm. enough job of actually saying you're going to play as firewall right um right. At least in first edition, I'm not that familiar with second edition. Um, but that was something that I really struggled with where like, you know, the games I wanted to play were like, oh, I want to play Martian cops and not really involve firewall, or I want to play, uh, gate crashes and not involve firewall. Um, mm -hmm. and, and all this other stuff. And that leaves a whole bunch of the game that they've designed just not there. And it also, you know, um, obscures a bunch of the core themes like if you just played a normal uh we live on titan game you don't really engage with the horror elements of the of the setting at all um right uh, and no, so absolutely like I'm, a, I'm a huge uh eclipse face fanboy i love that game um i wish in fact i've described i've described it as what i wish blue planet was when it grew up <laughs> i really i really enjoy that but There's I get, I totally of, get what you're saying. Yeah. There's a lot of things about that I love. Um, but anyway, that's a different, uh, conversation. Um, right. it is, yeah, it's very, uh, exciting hearing about all of this. Now, obviously, as you've been talking, you've been saying weave or us and things like that provide uh, implying a, um, uh, a team or uh, of some sort, uh, who else is working with you on this new, on blue planet, um, free contact. Uh, was it? Yep. Blue Planet Recontact. Yeah. Um, it's a, so my original partner, Greg Benage, um, is here in spirit. If any, if, if nothing else, he, he's a, a busy small business owner these days, so doesn't have much time for writing games. Um, but he, you know, is always there for questions. And I, and so much of Blue Planet is what it is because of him that, you know, even the new edition is going to have his mark all over it. Um, but in terms of actively, um, working on the game, we have brought in, some of the old authors um, and, and I'm even today was recruiting some new ones. Um, 
one of the neat things I'm excited about is we're, we're going to have some stretch goals that are additional campaign archetypes. And we're working with various folks in the, across the industry to, to get some, some names that people will recognize as part of the stretch goals for that. But probably most notably, uh, Alan Barr from Gallant Knight um, Publishing, Gallant Knight Games, um, the Tiny, uh, Tiny Dungeon and Tiny Cthulhu and, and that whole mm-hmm. series, um, is the publishing partner for the project. Um, and he's managing all the business side of things. And oh man, so he, that must be have, great to have someone managing all the business side of a thing. That sounds... You know, it helps for sure. Yep. That and he's got like a lot more experience with that kind of stuff than I do. So I'm, I'm happy to um, pass it on. Yeah, definitely. Very exciting. Um, so where, the Kickstarter goes live when? Um, April 6th. April 6th. In the US, obviously. Um, and uh, I, how long are you doing your uh, crowdfunding campaign for? Uh, I think it'll be just the basic month, like the 30 yeah, days. Indeed. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, cool. I cannot wait to uh, see how that goes and how it grows to see what these stretch goals are going to be um, and uh, see this game get funded and see it come out. Um, I think it'll be very exciting. Um, we're sort of getting close to the end of our time. Um, I guess, is there anything else that you really wanted to share about, uh, the game? Any, you know, um, juicy yeah, I mean, Kickstarter, Kickstarter teasers? Stuff? Um, no, we're, well, the art is going to be awesome. Uh, those of you familiar with the older blue planets, they were all black and white. And we're, you know, full color front to back. And um, we've been, the Kickstarter arts, most of it's all by the same fellow, um, a, a guy named Stefan Schoss from France. Uh, and he's doing this wonderful painterly style that I can't get enough of. I'm super excited to have in the book. I'm keen uh, to see some oh, ocean the drawings. The cover is amazing. Um, and we're going to be teasing that tomorrow for the first time. The public's going to see that with our one week out announcement. So I'm excited nice. by that. We've got big full-color maps being produced um, by uh, uh, Mark Richardson of Green Hat Publishing. Uh, he already did one that's in our Quick Start Guide. Oh, and that's if your listeners want to check it out, we have a Quick Start, an 80-page Quick Start that's free off drivethroughrpg.com. Just look for Blue Planet Quick Start. Um, it's got all the rules you need to play and, a, and a, a demo scenario and characters so you can really get a good taste of what the new mechanics are going to be. That's awesome. I didn't, like, I didn't realize you already had a quick start out. So yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, well, we'll definitely well, have to link that. COVID, right? Um, we had meant to launch this um, a year ago, uh, two years ago, two years ago. Um, and so we put the, kick, uh, we put the um, quick start out uh, that summer for Gen Con. Um, and then lots of things happened. Um, and my, my wife got cancer. My mom cancer came back and then COVID hit and it was just, you know, 2020. And yeah, wow. uh, so, so everything slowed down to a grinding halt. Um, so the, the, the quick guide has been out for a long time. Uh, it's had lots of downloads and, and we're really happy that people seem to like it. So it's definitely gotten some use. Extended plater. Yeah. It's <laughs> a good way to look at it. Uh, yeah. Fantastic. I'm super keen. Um, where can people find you and the game online if they want to? Obviously, drive through RPG. Yep, um, I'm on Twitter pretty much daily. Um, too much time on Twitter. Uh, I can be uh, the finances of the Kickstarter, of course. There'll be links there. 
um, our website, um, biohazardgames.us. And um, I don't really do Facebook or anything like that. So those are probably the best ways to reach me. You can get, get my email directly from the website. Yeah. Happy awesome. To correspond with anybody. Fantastic. And links to the Kickstarter and all those places you mentioned will be down below in the description, uh, wherever it is that you are listening to this episode. Um, thank you so much for coming on the show, uh, Jeff. It was Thanks a for pleasure, having me. pleasure to talk to you. And it's uh, always interesting uh, meeting someone whose uh, work I've been a fan of in the past. Um, uh, I'm very keen, uh, for Blue Planet, uh, and it sounds like this new version of Blue Planet is going to be, have all of the setting things that I am, like, enticed by with a mechanical underpinning that I can actually, like, get my mind around, um, so I'm very yeah, keen. we're counting on it, we're counting on it being the definitive version um, one that you know, kind of happy all around in terms of production quality and content in a way that nothing that the other editions haven't been. Yeah. Awesome. Fantastic. Well, uh, if you enjoyed listening to this episode, please go and check out our other interviews that we have with other game makers and people in the industry. Uh, you can also support uh, me and this podcast over on Patreon. Uh, but otherwise, thank you for being on the show, Jeff. And thank you all for listening. Farewell from the past, I'm Ray.